we have entered the season where we are going to have more gatherings with people than we had planned, expected, or wanted. But we will sit down and celebrate uh, Christmas over and over and over again with friends and family and frenemies and co-workers we're reminded of what that means. It's this season of Advent. A friend shared this morning that Advent reminds us, this waiting for the Messiah reminds us that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again to take His church home. That's the promise that God has made to us as His people. All the while, though, we look at this and we consider what we just experienced on Thursday Maybe you sat down with some family members and you looked around and realized we don't see the world the same way. You, you began to have a chat about what it means to not see the world the same way. You heard them and you maybe, maybe you're the one who doesn't see the world the same way that they do. You shared things with one another. There were moments where you had to bite your tongue. Anybody bite their tongue while they were eating turkey the other day? Or is that okay? I just went to sleep on somebody else's couch. That's what happened for me. But you sit there and you begin to listen as you have friends and family who are sharing conspiracy theories and are sharing about how they think that the world is coming to an end and how they are going to prepare for the world to come to an end. As if you can gather enough canned goods for that. Saw a church member the other day at Bucky's because that's the only gas station I go to because they have clean bathrooms and cheap ice. And we began to interact over family members in Christmas. And he let me know when, in regards to the whole idea of us being people who would hear a word like that, that we would be able to prepare for the end times. He said, we don't have to prepare for the end times. Jesus has done that for us. The promise of Scripture is that. But we look into the, the book of Luke this morning. As we prepare for that word from Luke, I want us to consider what Malachi said in the last two few verses of his book. The Old Testament prophet bringing the culmination of the Old Testament to its finality. And he spoke to the people of Israel about their sin and shortcoming, about their sins that they had committed against God, and he said this to them, Remember the instructions of Moses, my servant. The statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise I will come and I will strike the land with a curse. It reads differently in different translations. The ESV says, I will strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. One, trans one translation reads judgment. God is serious about people who are separated from Him. The very last words that we get from the Old Testament are words about curse and destruction and judgment. And then the people of Israel for 400 years hear nothing absolute silence from their God. Removed altogether. Fleming Rutledge says about Advent that the great theme of Advent is hope. But it is not tolerable to speak of hope unless we are willing to look squarely at the overwhelming presence of evil in our world. The writer of the book of Malachi 
was addressing the evil within God's people, not outside of them, within them. Their struggle to be obedient to God. Their desire to not follow the desires of Yahweh. And whenever we begin to talk about this notion of hope, it is a counterpoint. It is the opposite side of the coin. It is hope versus despair. Hope versus destruction. Hope versus impending doom. It is the expectation of the good of tomorrow in spite of the horrible nature of today. And when we look at the notion of hope as followers of Jesus, what we can realize is this from the teachings of the Scripture. Hope does not depend on us. Hope depends on someone beyond us. So we're going to spend a lot of time today in Luke chapter 1. It is the longest chapter in the New Testament. I'm going to read a portion of it and we're going to spend some time interacting with it. Chapter 1 verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughter of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. Living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them, they were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of the incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. The Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth, she will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the people to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked. For I'm an old man. My wife, she's well along in years. The angel of the Lord answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the days these take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to him, to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth, she conceived... And she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. 
We are entering into a series called The Characters of, of Christmas. And as you know, I don't always love the word character in, in relationship to people in the Bible. However, my friend Dan wrote this book, and I uh, love my friend Dan. And we're going to have a long conversation about it the next time that we are together. But when you begin to read through these stories, you will notice that something unique takes place in Luke in, in comparison to the other books uh, that we call the Gospels. Because Luke does not start with the lineage of Jesus. He starts somewhere else. As a matter of fact, he starts where we have just started. There are certain moments for any of us that you can remember just by the mention of the date. You know everything that was happening and exactly what you were doing in that very moment. You may even remember what you were wearing or, or what you happened to be eating. One of those dates for me is January the 4th of 1999. It's when the Tennessee Volunteers won a national championship. That means that our national championship is over 21 years old. And as I read on Twitter, and if that national championship could drink, boy, it would. And when you begin to look at the notion of that national championship, I remember exactly where I was. My friend Terry owned a tanning salon. Very weird. Still happened. And I went to watch the game with him when I got off of work. I was wearing a t-shirt that I'd worn to work at UPS that day with a pair of duck head shorts and a pair of uh, of hiking, not hiking boots, yes, they were Timberland hiking boots. That's what I wore. We ordered a pizza together, we had a conversation, and as we were watching the game, we saw the Tennessee Volunteers win a national championship. Kenny Chesney, the country music version of Drake, he wrote a song entitled Touchdown Tennessee. That's what I remember from that day. There are other dates that are more ominous and more overwhelming. All of us remember, if you were old enough to remember, where you were on September the 11th of 2001. I was walking into a seminary classroom from another seminary class. What seemed to be an accident was not an accident. We all remember where we were in March of 2020. Jared and I had a brief conversation about a pandemic early in the day and how we thought we should bring out hand sanitizer. It's the same hand sanitizer we're using now. It smells horrible. But cleanliness usually does. As we sat there together, we all remember exactly where we were, what we were doing, why we were doing that. The confusion, the overwhelming nature. We know where we were when certain things took place. These moments are not unique to us. Luke is a doctor, but he's also a tad bit of a historian. He's writing an account of the life of Jesus to a man named Theophilus. And he has talked to various people. He has talked to eyewitnesses of Jesus. And he has talked to people who knew the eyewitnesses of Jesus. He has gathered together information to present to Theophilus about the person of Jesus. And he starts in verse 5 with this phrase, "...in the days of King Herod of Judea." What a phrase. What a phrase. Now we hear that and we immediately think to ourselves, well, that's just when Herod was rolling. Herod was doing Herod things and they were probably terrible. But when he uses this reference, it's for the people of Israel, it is a reference to everything horrid that was taking place in their world at the time. He could not unpack in full the terror of this man because of the way that the Herod and his family would treat people. When he says the days of Herod, he's not just saying, hey, this was who the king was. These words come with stories of a man who built a temple to Yahweh that he celebrated, all the while building temples to other gods. 
He murdered his family members out of fear that they would try to take his throne, which wasn't even a throne. He was a puppet king. He issued a decree for the firstborn son, his, his own firstborn son, to die. He issued a decree, uh, no woman's honor was safe, it was said of Herod, and no man's life was secure. It was said this, it was safer to be his pig than to be his son. This, in and of itself, would tip off the reader that something cosmic was at play. That something special and supernatural was about to take place. Because of the way that echoed Pharaoh when he ran the lives of the people of Israel. And how he killed all of the, of the babies in an attempt to rid the world of Moses. This is a story that would echo and ring true in the lives of the Jewish people. In the days of King Herod of Judea, when these terrible things were taking place, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughter of Aaron. We begin to learn a little bit about this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, how they are faithful to the Lord, they are blameless in his sight. That does not mean they are blameless in the way that they are not sinless. But if you looked at them, you would say, those are fine, upstanding people who are trusting God in the face of darkness, who are holding on to hope in a world that doesn't seem very hopeful. That's the world that he speaks to. That's who he's writing to when he shares with us about the person of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says that they were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. They looked at the Scriptures. They were good at being good. They believed that they were faithful to Yahweh. But they don't have children. They could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. You have two senior adults. In the Bible, you were a senior adult when you were 60. As a 45-year-old, I believe that you're a senior adult when you're 98. You have two senior adults in this passage. They were between 60 and 70. They eat dinner at 4 p.m. They love buffets. <laughs> Zachariah's division was on duty. And he was serving as a priest before God. His lot was chosen. Now, that doesn't quite go into depth. There are around 18,000 priests, and if you had ever lit incense in the temple, that means that you could not do it again. So he is one of 14 people who's going to do that. He's going into the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. And while he's there, something happens. Verse 10, At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. He's going in to burn incense. All the people are praying because something unique takes place within this temple. God does something miraculous in this temple because this is them saying together, we are waiting on Yahweh to do something. And year after year, they get further and further from the hope that they were clinging to. We're not very different. How many of us can remember the day I shared last week where we placed our faith in the person of Jesus, the broken body, shed blood of Jesus as the hope of the world. And we were hoping and anticipating and waiting for God to do something miraculous. But the more that time passes, the further away from that it seems. We're having the hardest time because life is hard and people are difficult and we still have to eat meals with those in-laws. Things are so, so hard. He's in this holy place. One pastor says they came to the moment to step into the holy place. 
Before him rose the richly embroidered curtain of the Holy of Holies, resplendent with cherubim woven in scarlet, blue, purple, and gold. To his left was the table of showbread, the bread that symbolized the presence of God. Directly in front of him was a horned golden altar of incense. To his right stood the golden candlestick. Zechariah purifies the air and waited joyously for the signal to offer the incense so that, as it were, the sacrifices went up to God wrapped in the sweet incense of prayer. The people are waiting outside to see this lift. But the strangest thing takes place. While he is there, in what is in and of itself a really big deal, an angel shows up. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, she will bear a son, and you will name him John. He goes on, but Zechariah is stopped at the word son because Zechariah is old and he does not believe that he is able to have a baby nor does he believe that his wife is able to conceive a child. He is lost at that word. This seemed to be a hopeless situation for him. Something that he could not accomplish on his own. Something that she could not accomplish on her own. This angel, this miraculous presence provided by God has just told him something is going to happen that should not happen. It seems like too much for Zechariah. Can you just put yourself in his sandals though? If that's you in the Holy of Holies, having a conversation with an angel, something you've been waiting for and anticipating for years, yet it has not happened and you are well past the day that you thought it could happen. They've been faithful, God-fearing people. And God has not seemed to show up and be God. God's not done anything. God is still at work, even when it doesn't seem as if He shows up in the way that we would design for Him to show up. And in this situation, you have... Zachariah, who is lost in the conversation, overwhelmed by what is taking place, and he is uncertain as to what should take place because he says in verse 18, How can I know this? And his tone in this passage is not the tone of one who, someone who would say, You know, are you sure? That's the tone of Mary, and we'll deal with her in a couple of weeks. His tone is frustration, anger, Questioning of this angel of God? <clears throat> Zechariah is completely overwhelmed because his situation is a hopeless one. Verse 19. The angel answered him, You know what? You are too old. I didn't even know you were this old. Let me find someone else. No. The angel of the Lord says to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
We are far too quick to hear the word of the Lord and make it about us. There are devotionals designed so that you can get the most out of your Bible reading for you. There are arrangements of Scripture which we can look at and see. This is what you deal with when your football team loses. This is what you should read when your, uh, when your job isn't going well. This is what should happen when they give you cold french fries. We have the weirdest arrangements of the Bible. We try to make the word of the Lord about us. Now, eventually we do see how we are intercepted and invited into this story. But the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord for his people. Now listen, you'll become silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which was fulfilled in their proper time. I love that phrase. It will be, these words of mine have been fulfilled in its proper time. 400 years was God's proper time for the arrival of the Messiah that we've been singing about. 400 years was what they were anxiously anticipating, yet God knew the place where the fullness of time would come to fruition. You better listen, Zechariah. I love that he tells him to listen. Now listen. Because I'm not going to let you speak. It may have been for his best. I know a guy that on the day his wife, we will call her Hope, was delivering their firstborn son. We will call him Shepherd. While she was in labor, though I will stay early stages of labor, uh, was asking, he was asking her if he could go to the hospital Chick-fil-A. And he was also talking about his stomach cramps and trying to ask the doctor about those. It didn't go over really well. It was a very Dwight Schrute, Michael Scott moment as I interacted with these doctors. We have this moment here where we look at this text and we see that he's being told, you're going to be quiet. Everyone's been waiting outside. What's happening in there? We're waiting for the smoke. Where is the smoke? We need to see something miraculous. And when he comes out, they were waiting for him and they were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. I know, you know how that is. Preacher gets going. You start looking at your watches. I start judging you from up here. It's okay. We've worked through it. Where's he at? We need to go to lunch. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. I'm a child of the late 80s and early 90s. I know all about doing signs in worship services. It was a wild time. We had car crash reenactments, black lights, dowel rods, hell houses. We did interpretations of songs to people who could hear. It was a very unique time to be alive. He's doing this interpretation. Thank you. He's doing this interpretation for them. And they're watching his hands move as he does what seems to be the Macarena. When the days of his ministry was completed, he went back home. He goes home. Can't talk. After the day his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Because this older lady is pregnant with a baby. And she said this. The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. 
The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We should not overlook that or, or undersell that because God wants us to see something from her. Now, men, I want you to I know how, how we may be when we hear stories of ladies in the Bible, and I just want you to know it's okay. The ladies hear stories about men regularly. You have this woman in this passage, and her situation is dire. If Zechariah is hopeless, she is hopeless times ten. Imagine the stigma of being a woman in this world where you have been obedient all of your life, hoping to see against hope to see God do something, and the hours have waned, and it does not seem as if God is going to provide a child for you. Many Jewish rabbis, they insist that it was evidence of divine disfavor. While Zechariah and Elizabeth that were righteous before God, some of their friends probably whispered about them as they watched their lives, suspecting they had done something super secret and serious in regard to their sin. And there was no way to erase this because every time you looked at them, you would see they were people without a child. And to have a child in this world meant that you had been blessed by God. And to not have one meant that you were not, at least in the eyes of the people. The phrase advanced in years, it says that she's 60, as I shared earlier. She is beyond the time in her life where she is going to have a child. When you looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth, they could not have babies. They've been around since the Dead Sea was sick. Everything was really, really hard. Verse 39, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town to the hill country. Now, we are skipping the story of Mary finding out from Gabriel that she's going to have a baby because she gets her own week. But in those days, she's a big part of the story. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Jesus. Finds out that she's having a baby. She entered the house of Zechariah. He's still not talking. Elizabeth is resting. She greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary greeting, the baby leaped inside of her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she claimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. We are seeing that hope works in this passage. It interrupts this passage rarely. Hope works in the face of doubt. Hope is something also that is worth celebrating. She is celebrating that God is doing something miraculous here. God has done something she did not expect for him to do. These two ladies talking about having babies. They would be such good members of Grace Bible Church. So many babies here. Babies and pregnant people all of the time. Every time I look around, oh yeah, that happened again. Cool. Think about it. Pregnant women, babies, that's one-fourth of our room. Babies, they're loud. They say stuff that doesn't make sense. They don't tithe. They're the best church members. But God works through these, these stories. These stories of women who have unexpected pregnancies. It's a running theme of the Bible. Abraham and Sarah. Rachel and Jacob. Samson and Samuel. God tells a lot of stories through what seem to be hopeless situations. And when God God does something in the face of what seems to be hopeless, it is very much worth celebrating. How are we celebrating all the good that God does in our lives? 
and even in this room, if you're here and maybe you're in that place, though there was this weird legend, this weird understanding of who God was, that He would bless people and curse people, and that they understood that through being able to have children. That's not the way our God works. That was a misunderstanding of how God worked. This was the act of God to tell a bigger, better story. And right here in the text, you see these two ladies interacting over what God has done and how much it is worth celebrating. Whatever situation we are in that may seem hopeless... Would we look to our God and celebrate when He reminds us that He's not forsaken us? That He cares for us? That He cares for His people? Finally, we see in the text that hope, it pierces darkness. Because the whole text has been moving us here. Chapter 1 is just setting us up for chapter 2, which we've all memorized in King Jimmy English. Fifty-seven. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy. God is merciful. And they rejoiced with her. These faithful people to God were able to rejoice. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, we're going to call him John. Then they said to her, You don't have any relatives named John. So they motioned his father, and he also motioned back, to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. They were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about through the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. All that's good, wonderful, thankful to the Lord for what he has provided for us by Luke, the doctor slash historian, who wrote more of the Bible than Paul. You can count up the verses. But something powerful happens at this point in the text that we don't need to overlook. We started with silence. There has been no prophecy over Israel for 400 years. Nothing has been said about the goodness of Yahweh for 400 years. They have received no word from Yahweh. The people have been anxiously anticipating to the point that they are exhausted. But this dad who could not speak, he's been saving it up. Because the baby's there. In 57, 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hates us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve without fear in holiness and righteousness in presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, preparing the way to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit and he went into the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. You will announce that Christ has come. You will help the people to see that for the forgiveness of their sins, Christ will die, that Christ will rise again, and he will come again to his people. This isn't the story of two senior adults as much as we like to make it that. It's not the story of two senior adults having a son or even of Elizabeth being free of the burden of embarrassment in her world. This is about how our good God of hope has made a promise that he ties his people to. In spite of what you're going through, in spite of the hopeless situation that you're in, our God has a plan. Our God has a plan for the redemption of humanity. Our God's plan will not be undone by our stupidity, by our doubt. Our God's plan will not be undone by, because of our lack of celebration. Our God's plan will pierce darkness fully. Our God's plan is the darkness is pierced. Why? Because Jesus was pierced. Brokenness was broken because Jesus was broken. And in the person of Jesus, life has rushed back into death and despair. And God has said to his people, hope is here. Hope is here. So today, as a church family, we will take of the cup and drink and, and eat of the bread. Because Christ was broken. Because Christ's blood was shed. Because hope, we've been invited into that story. And this great story that we read here... We take of the cup and we eat of the bread as a reminder that our small stories have been intertwined with this bigger, better one. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is good and that it's true and that you have a good, true word for us as your people. Lord, for those of us who are here and we feel hopeless, I pray that you would meet us. That you would help us to see that you are with us that you have not abandoned us or forsaken us, that you love us, that you are for us, and that if you are for us, who can be against us? Father, we thank you that you have interrupted darkness and despair, and that Jesus, you are in the presence of your people. We thank you that we are unified by the power of your Spirit. And as we sing today and we take of the cup and we eat of the bread, would we remember what that means? 
Will we be satisfied by what you've done? If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. If you're a believer in the room you and you're not a member of grace, you feel free to take communion with us. If you are not a believer in Jesus, I would just ask that you would refrain. This is something that we celebrate as believers in Jesus. It is a serious matter. It is us celebrating that God has united us to Him. And if you're not united to Him, if that's something you would like to talk to me about, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. If you're a believer in the space and you need to be prayed with or prayed for, I'm back there for you as well. We thank you, Jesus.